I've got another Tom Hanks movie review for you. <laughs> oh, goody. Wonderful. Everyone's <laughs> favorite darling of the deep state. Tom yes. Hanks. <laughs> this is why people listen to our show, right? Is to hear Christine's cool Tom Hanks opinions. I think so. I mean, you're the social guru, so you would know. <laughs> <laughs> we got Apple TV recently. We're, we're stealing a family member's access. All right. There you go. The yeah, real pearl way to watch it. <laughs> that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, first off, we watched Ted Lasso on there. If you ever get a hold of Apple TV, that's a very good show. It's got a Jason Sudeikis. Sudeikis? Is that his name? I'm struggling to remember who that is. Face He's in... Have you seen uh, We're the Millers? Yeah. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah. The main guy in that. Yeah. He's in it. It's really... It like manages to be funny and sweet at the same time, which is like really hard to do. Like it's not <laughs> like... It's not too sappy, but it's really yeah. wholesome. Okay. Um, but also funny. What is it called? Uh, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Got yeah. it. Um, but no, what I want to tell you about was a Tom Hanks movie called Greyhound. Have you heard of this movie? No. Well, my review is <laughs> Tom Hanks tries to eat breakfast and can't. <laughs> Which, if you knew what this movie was about, would be very funny. <laughs> it's actually about, like, in World War II, he's escorting, like, these boats, like, these supply boats across the Atlantic. Okay. And, like, there's these U-boats, and they, like, keep getting attacked by U-boats. Like, and, while um, he's trying to eat breakfast? or I'm telling you, not <laughs> once, not twice, not three times, four times, somebody brings him breakfast. And every fucking time, we're like, he's not going to get to it. And then that's when someone's like, Captain, we see him. <laughs> <laughs> this poor man just can't eat his eggs. I mean, you don't know how often they're eating eggs, though, in the Navy. Uh, maybe it's often. Maybe know, that's all they eat. All the rations they got. <laughs> But it's fun because the breakfasts keep getting bigger because like this guy's been <laughs> awake for like four days and they're just like, you need to fucking eat something. I, I was like, is the end of this movie just him passing out from not eating? Like, <laughs> just, what's going to happen? Yeah, he just flatlines. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was really just various boat maneuvers. I give it a B minus. Wow. Yeah. Got to be honest, if it's mostly boating, mostly naval warfare, I'm A, not like a big war movie person or war history person and na naval combat for some reason to me <laughs> like ranks lower than land combat in terms of excitement and both of them rank lower than air combat i mean because that's just rogue yeah. squadron but low tech you know <laughs> yeah it was kind of interesting like they very clearly were trying to make it like visually engaging like they had to label ships like because he would be using his binoculars and they had to be like this is the whatever and i'm like yeah. i guess yeah how else did you fucking know what's going on <laughs> uh that's that's interesting <laughs> it was fine i just i was worried about his food someone had to be <laughs> it's just that they used it four times you know it'd be one thing if they got interrupted twice be like oh man that's enough to show he's not eating mm-hmm but the fact that they kept doing it, it's like, now this is a plot line. But don't be too disappointed. I mean, like, they were probably powdered eggs, you know? No, they looked good. He had, like, a ham steak that was, like, half an inch thick. It looked good. Yeah. I mean, ham steak, that's a good thing to put on a ship, though, because it's salted. You know, it's... Oh. Uh, they don't have a ton of room on those things. All right. What are you teaching me today? All right. Today, we are going to talk about one of the most important figures in 20th century communism. Who's that? This would be Mao Zedong. All right. I've heard of this guy. Very famous. Mm-hmm. He's got like a cool jacket. He's got a cool jacket. Yeah. Oh, he's got the, yeah, the button up all the way tunic thing. I think that was a crossword clue recently. Oh, man, man, maybe it has a name. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm going to Google that. 
Mao jacket. <laughs> I think it was because I was like, I didn't think it was that cool of a jacket. I mean, it's a nice jacket. Yeah, the Wikipedia page is titled Mao suit. Mao suit. The modern Chinese tunic suit. World leader with a distinctive jacket. That was one of the crossword clues recently. Well, there you go. If you don't know him for his communism, you can know him for his attire. <laughs> Fashionista. Similar to our other bio episodes, we talked about Emma Goldman, Che Guevara, Vladimir Lenin. Uh, we're going to be focusing on Mao Zedong's life, and we'll kind of only briefly dive into the a shallow dive into the historical events that he lived through, kind of to give mm-hmm. context. Yeah. So there's going to be a ton of history that's going to be glossed over, barely discussed. That's okay. Hopefully this is kind of an episode <laughs> starter of an episode, you know. That said, stop me when I just breeze past something that you have questions about, you know. <laughs> I uh, mean, it probably will happen. I know very embarrassing little Chinese history. It was one of those things that like, I don't know, just the way history is taught in the States is you mention it twice like this dynasty in world history like you learn about like two dynasties and that's it yeah and then you never really talk about it again 100 percent. you uh, and i can tell you the rundown of, of the how it gets played in high school world mm-hmm. history is it's talked about in ancient right it's mm-hmm. like the han empire or something yeah with the that Romans. one uh, and then you got some of the dynasties right mm-hmm. uh, and then you really don't it's not visited again until like you have the opium or like the british and the opium trade or something or you have yeah. later on in world war Two, they bring it up and say like oh you know they that was one of the theaters and the japanese were expanding there uh and then it's you know truman lost them to the communists and yep then they're it. red and it's done <laughs> yeah we never talk about it again <laughs> so we're going to dive a little bit more into certain parts of that uh Listeners will probably have questions where you do, so feel free to jump in and ask that, or I'll get too luxury. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and overall, we're going to be tracing Mao's early life, his revolutionary actions, his role in the Chinese Civil War, and his role, and up to the beginning of the People's Republic of China, where he'll actually take a leadership role. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah. There's just a ton. <laughs> so, <laughs> we got to do a two-parter. It's fine. Yeah, along the way, we'll mostly be focusing on his actions. We'll talk a little bit about his ideological developments, too. Um, but it's not going to be a deep dive into, like, Maoism or Mao Zedong thought. Okay. And I also kind of wanted to give a little word about our ideological stance. You and I, I think we're pretty good about this, trying to be more or less open-minded about tendencies and stuff, right? We're not mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm a hardcore Marxist-Leninist or Trotskyist or whatever, right? Yeah, no. Um, we're not here... I, I don't want this episode to be like, here's why Mao sucks, you know? <laughs> I kind of doubted that. Or we don't, we also don't want to be like, this is Mao. He's the, you know, patron saint of the podcast now. <laughs> we're we're going to be, you know, talking about only some of the things he did. We're going to be including, you know, good things. But also, nobody's perfect. He's, we're going to include some bad things too. Okay, that's fine. So, yeah. Also, don't be surprised most of our listeners shouldn't be, but if it's your first time tuning in, don't be surprised <laughs> if this is different than the standard account you get from Mao in a Western education. Mm, yeah, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the other hand, don't expect us to be like uh, a communist subreddit about Mao either. Uh, yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily right. going to be 100%. Either way, bal- it's not balance for balance sake, I guess, but it's just people are nuanced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, let's start from the top. 
All right. Mal was born on December 26, 1893. Okay. So long, long time ago uh, in Shaoshan in the Hunan province of the Qing Empire of China. So you can already tell long time ago and uh, China was an empire back then. Yeah, yeah, that would... That'd be a while back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his father was Mao Yichang, a wealthy landowning farmer. He was a grain merchant. He'd grown up poor, but like sort of bootstrapped his way up. Mm-hmm. Made his own way in the world. He's described as a strict disciplinarian uh, who made liberal use of corporal punishment. Uh, so very strict dude. Where about, I guess, geographically in China is this just like, I'm very visual. So Hunan is landlocked in like southern China. Okay. So, you know, the big curve part Mm -hmm. is sort of in there. Uh, Okay. That's a dumb way to describe it, but. (laughs) (laughs) It worked. It's landlocked in that. So it's not on the coast and it's there. Okay. Okay. Cool. (laughs) His mother was named Wen Chimei. Okay. She had grown up poor as well. And had, along with her mother, fled an abusive father at age 10. Oh, dang. She was arranged to marry Mao Yichang when she was 13 and he was 10. And they married five years later when she was 18. And I guess he was 15. Okay, wow. She's described as a devout Buddhist. Okay. Uh, I I mean, neither one has like a book dedicated to them. So (laughs) you only get like a sentence or two. Yeah. Uh, Mao Zedong himself grew up fairly well to do. Uh, he had two younger brothers, Zemin and Zetan. Mm-hmm. And they also lived with a cousin of theirs, Zhejiang. Okay. All of them, all of his siblings end up getting executed later Whoa. in the story. Uh, at okay. different times, either by warlords or by the Kuomintang, who we'll talk about later during the Chinese Dang. Civil War. All right. It's a hell of a spoiler. Yeah. Uh it's it's when you're watching the movie and you know, oh, damn, they're gonna die. And you're <laughs> oh, watching this kid's them play. Gonna die. Yeah, yeah. Sad. Uh, oh. There's not a ton else on Mao's childhood uh, that's nearly as important. One highlight is that he, when he's either 13 or 14, the sources differ. His father arranges a marriage for him to oh. the 17 or 18 year old Luo Yixiu. Okay. Uh, they do marry in 1908 when she is 18. But Mal, like, hated this. He hated the arranged marriage situation overall. He reluctantly took part in the ceremony and then apparently refused to live with Luo. Whoops. uh, And ran away from home. Dang, okay. So she lived with the Mal family and was disgraced by his disappearance. Uh, She dies two years later from dysentery. Whoa. And Mal returns home. He's kind of forgiven prodigal son sort of situation. Ooh, man, that's awkward. Yeah, the whole episode is said to have made Mao a uh, vehement advocate of women's rights and a fierce opponent of arranged marriage. Okay. I mean, shitty way to get there, but okay. Yeah, yeah. And so he's 18 when he shipped off to school in Changsha, the capital of the Hunan province. Okay. So he's in school there in 1911 when a revolution breaks out. It's called the 1911 Revolution. (laughs) classic it's also called the shinhai revolution so you can co- okay. go with the cooler name if you want. yeah yeah <laughs> uh the short story here is that there's this armed rebellion that breaks out against the terribly mismanaged Qing empire okay they overthrow it in four months 
Like that's how terribly managed. Damn. Yeah. Pretty bad empire. (laughs) And uh, it's replaced by the Republic of China. And pretty quickly, the Republic of China also struggles. Uh, Okay. It goes off the rails. There's a lot of complicated stuff that happens, but the government ends up descending into what's called the warlord era. Okay. This sounds like a bad era. Yeah, it's not very good. Uh, A bunch of different regional warlords control little chunks of the country and they fight each other. Ooh, and what year is this? It was in 1911 and that lasts through like the 20s. Can you imagine having warlords? Like, I mean, we have them now, I guess, but it's just just a very like antiquated kind of term, you know? Yeah, uh, (laughs) that's what they had to live through. Jeez. Mao, for his part, uh, he supported the revolution he mm-hmm. joined as like a soldier. Wow. But doesn't end up seeing any fighting. I guess it only lasted four months. So by the time yeah. he's like got a gun and stuff. <laughs> yeah. By the like, time he's oh, trained, it's, it's like, oh. <laughs> um, so he ends up resigning six months in, you know, after six months because it's already over by then. Uh, and it's during this time that he discovers a little something called socialism. Mm, that's my favorite thing. He ends up reading like some newspaper articles about it basically. And it's like, what? And he reads some pamphlets by some guy named Jiang Kang, who, uh, who's the founder of the Chinese socialist party. Okay. Which is a pretty minor thing. Okay. This was just kind of an intro to socialism for Mao. And he wasn't like bought in yet. He was like, that's kind of cool. I guess Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he was still young, figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. And Definitely figuring it out. After that, he dabbles a bunch. He enrolls in and drops out of a bunch of different things. Okay. Here's our list. (laughs) Starting out real weird. A police academy. Whoa, didn't see that one (laughs) coming, but okay. Yeah. uh, A soap production school. (laughs) Very specific. Yeah. Uh, A law school. All right. An economics school. Okay, maybe. And a middle school, which I think is kind of more like our high school, terminology-wise. Just trying to find himself. Yeah, he's, he's, he's <laughs> all over the place. He ends up studying philosophy and economics kind of independently. But he's just so aimless that his father ends up cutting off his allowance. <laughs> and he's got to move into a hostel for broke people. Dang. All ends yeah. eventually. Yeah. So he gets cut off. And then in 1913... He ends up enrolling in a teacher's training college, like okay. somehow to me, that was questionable because like, what has he done? I don't know, but <laughs> that was fine, I guess. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was called the Hunan First Normal School. I mean, sounds normal. <laughs> well, here he falls prey to the classic villain in the minds of all American conservatives. Ooh, who is it? The radical college professor. Hell yeah. Love those guys. <laughs> Uh, so the guy in question is Yang Changji, who ends up becoming Young Mao's mentor and posthumously his father-in-law. Spoiler oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where we get our first personal life break. We're going to have several of these personal okay. life breaks to talk about kind of his relationships and stuff. Because Yang ends up important to him, like we said, mm-hmm. posthumous father-in-law. It's on a visit to his house that he meets his future wife, Yang Kai Hui. Oh, Okay. Uh, he was apparently too shy to talk to her the first time they met. Oh, so. cutie. <laughs> yeah. Professor Yang also points Mao to the New Youth magazine. Says this is a cool magazine. Check it out. Okay. Gives him some literature. Yeah. This was a radical <laughs> publication. Uh, and it started the New Culture Movement. Okay. What is that? 
So, yeah. <laughs> so the new <laughs> youth magazine, this was created by a guy named Chen Dushu, okay. who was a revolutionary in that 1911 revolution. Yes. And he's a future co-founder of the Communist Party of China. Nice. The magazine New Youth argued that China had to modernize. It had to reform its society with Western ideas like democracy, egalitarianism, women's rights, and it had to challenge kind of the old Confucian thinking. Okay. Uh, to be able to move into the modern world, basically. And this is at the heart of that new culture movement. Rebel against the old, begin anew, build a new, better China sort of thing. I mean, I like all of those things they listed. I just don't know enough about Confucianism to know whether I'd be against that, you know? You probably would. Confucianism <laughs> is pretty traditional in its <laughs> okay, outlook. Yeah. It says that, you know, the wise should govern. And uh, oh. this is super condensed, you know, but it's it's a nuanced philosophy. I don't want to paint it. Mm-hmm. in a terrible way but it kind of has it's it definitely got a belief in hierarchy mm, yeah um, yeah and it's got a set of obligations each way it's not like just listen to who's in charge but the people in charge should be doing things for people below them but it is very hierarchical okay yeah probably would not be into that <laughs> uh mal actually f- published his first article in the Ooh, New Earth magazine there we go what was it about it was in april 1917 and it was called a study of physical education Okay, this guy, (laughs) he's just all over the place. Yeah, because in it, he basically tells readers that they need to buff up to get ready to fight in the revolution to come. That's hilarious. And he's just like, when you fight, man, you got to, when you fight, when you train, like you got to be savage, you got to be ready, you got to (laughs) be intense. Oh my gosh. Uh, It's very funny too. It's pretty short. It's, I linked it in the notes. Uh, It's it's a funny read because it's, it's just like you, you want to imagine this little fast. student. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so back to school. Mao and is a popular student, active in school politics. Uh, in 1917, he is elected to a position that is startling to most uh, people who attend college or, or or school these days. Is he was elected commander of the students' volunteer army. Whoa! 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 <laughs> Remember, he's going to school during the warlord era. Yeah, I guess he'd have to uh, have one. (laughs) Yeah, they led the defense of the school from marauding warlord soldiers and bandits. Wow, this is some (laughs) Harry Potter book seven shit right here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, they use makeshift bamboo spears and wooden rifles. Damn, okay. I guess to scare people off. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. Uh, Yeah, he ends up graduating in June 1919, ranked third in his class. Nerd. Buff nerd. Buff nerd. Yeah. Oh, what, what if he wasn't buff, though, and he was just, like, pretending? I mean, it was just published in mag unless they took pictures, like, unless he was also the, the centerfold of it. <laughs> Be buff like me. <laughs> uh, so from there, he moves to Beijing. Okay. The reason is that his mentor, the professor, Yang Chengxi, uh, had gotten a job at Peking University. Oh, okay. And he was cool enough to get Mao a job as an assistant to the university librarian. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, So Peking University was a hotbed of radicalism at the time. Okay. That librarian was the future co-founder of the Communist Party of China, along with the guy who wrote the book. Wonderful. uh, Who wrote the magazine, sorry. And that guy, Chen Duxiu, was uh, the dean of the the school. (laughs) 
damn, okay, this is commie school right here. Yeah, and I think the president was, the president of that school was also like an anarchist or something. Like, it was crazy. <laughs> That's cool as hell. I'd go to that school. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't go because there's a whole warlord situation, but without that, I'd go. All right. Well, just don't <laughs> serve on the student volunteer army. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'll stay out of that. <laughs> uh, so overall, Mal described, re- kind of retrospectively, you know, described his ideology at this time as, quote, a curious mixture of ideas of liberalism, democratic reformism, and utopian socialism. I mean, we've all been in our 20s at college. That's, <laughs> that's what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he said he was definitely anti-militarist and anti-imperialist, but otherwise kind of like not settled, yeah. you know. Uh, overall, though, he starts to move further to the left during this time. Cool. I mean, no surprise with the staff yeah, right? got there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be weird if he didn't. He... uh joins the librarian's study group okay and ends up kind of gravitating toward marxism nice. he had kind of dabbled in anarchism a little bit too but kind of sets okay. that aside uh cool side point here mal during his time at school was teased for being a hillbilly basically oh because he was like from further out <laughs> yeah so they oh. made fun of him for his country accent oh so I just imagine him, co- like, because he would go to lectures and stuff and then want to ask questions, but they just straight up, like, not his professors, but guest speakers, like, they wouldn't talk to him or whatever. Oh, they wouldn't no. answer him. That's They'd so be sad. Like, Excuse me, what do you think about <laughs> mobilizing the peasants for doing a revolution? Oh. <laughs> they would just be like, mm, whatever. <laughs> Bummer, man. Yeah. Total jerks, dude. Yeah. Elitists. They shouldn't be elite. You're at fucking commie school. You should know better. <laughs> Well, it was it was an esta- it was a real school. It wasn't I guess, just yeah. communist. But <laughs> okay, so in the spring 1919, he ends up returning home to visit his mom. She was mm-hmm. terminally ill. Oh, man! And uh, she ends up dying later that year. His dad dies the next year, and he soon ends up taking up history, okay. teaching history, kind of a disreputable profession there, teaching yeah. history. Only assholes do that. (laughs) Uh, And this was at the kind of like the primary school feeder to his old, his old alma mater there. Mm, Okay. Or I guess place he had dropped out of. Um, Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's on May 4th, 1919, that something else happens in China that we'll talk about. The May 4th movement. Is it about Jedi? Ah, damn. No, it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. They, They, uh. Missed opportunity there. This was, I guess it was anti-imperial. Okay, okay. (laughs) Technically accurate. Uh, It was an anti-imperialist movement that grew out of some student protests in Beijing. Okay. They were pissed because it's 1919, so the Treaty of Versailles had just been talked, you know, released. It's not been signed yet, but now people know what it's about. Yeah. This is the treaty that ended World War I, and it had really fucked over China by turning over territories that had been occupied by Germany. Mm -hmm. Instead of turning those over to China, they had turned it over to Japan. Oh, that's shitty. Yeah. So people were pissed about that. You know, they were just being kicked around. They blamed the government. They started protesting and striking saying, this is bullshit, you know, reject this treaty. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of also, it feeds into that new culture movement, you know, oh, we need to be our own, you know, country, do things for ourselves, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Nationalism. Right? Yeah. 
And uh, it's successful in the sense of like, they do scare the government into saying, okay, fine, we'll reject the treaty. <laughs> but it's not that successful because like, they just, the other countries sign the treaty anyway. They don't. Really yeah. Care. Yeah. So. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. What territories? Was it just like borders or something? Yeah, it was or? mostly on the coast, coastal regions um, okay. that they had captured. And Mao, during the May 4th movement, he starts organizing some local protests. Oh, okay. He organizes against the governor there, Zhang Jinjiao, mm-hmm. who was uh, such a dick that he was known as <laughs> Zhang the Venomous. Ooh, yeah, that's a, that's a bad one. Because <laughs> uh, he would just like steal and plunder and everything. He was Ugh. an asshole. Anyway, Mao founds the Hunani Student Association. He organizes student strikes. He starts oh, yeah. a radical magazine called the Zhang River Review. I mean, these are all all your basic steps to becoming a radical. Organizing, yeah. starting a publication. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. I was going to say we've all been there, but no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> all the cool kids have been there. Yeah. He uh, started advocating in the magazine for strengthening unions, for waging a nonviolent revolution, and for mutual aid. Wow. Those are all cool things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the governor, what do you think? He hated that. <laughs> I bet, yeah. The, the venomous, probably not his thing. <laughs> so he started shutting down Mao's organization, shutting down his magazine. And Mao, of course, just like made a different magazine till that got <laughs> shut down. Uh, he, switched to, he, he switched to a newspaper. Uh, he, you know, eventually that gets shut down too. He, he's, he's railing about, you know, the fucked up government saying this sucks. It should be changed. Uh, he's he's also talking about uh, liberating women in Chinese nice. society. And eventually he pisses off the governor enough that he basically gets a price on his head. So he leaves. <laughs> Shit. He should have named his magazine something nondescript. Be like, I don't know, co- made covers from his day at the soap factory or something. Yeah. Soap monthly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then the the governor's like, "What's well, just soap monthly? Who reads that?" <laughs> or it's just like, "Yay, imperialism!" The magazine, you know. <laughs> but then inside, it's like, "No, just kidding." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up moving back to Beijing. He visits his old prof, who is now terminally ill. Oh man, lots of sad parts of this movie so far. Yeah. So his prof dies, January nineteen twenty. So it was back in Beijing. That Mao gets exposed to the real deal. Ooh, the real shit? The real shit. The Communist Manifesto. Oh, that original flavor shooting yeah. into my veins. Just hits different. He uh, <laughs> he thought it was good, you know. It was, it was good <laughs> shit. But he still, at this time, kind of still has some ideas kicking around in his head. He's not, like, committed mm-hmm, just yet, mm-hmm. but... You know, it's the first date. You don't want to commit. Right. Yeah, but he he was impressed. Uh, and in 1920, like during that same year, he's appointed headmaster of a school. Okay. So our next personal life break is here because when he gets that steady job coming in, that winter he ends up marrying Yang Kaihui. Nice. Uh, Yang Kaihui becomes a dedicated communist like Mao does. Nice. Uh, she ends up joining the party. Uh, kind of a year later than he does, organizes evening workers' schools at, at a nearby cotton mill, uh, organizes peasant evening schools as well. Just basically dedicated to the cause. I mean, get yourself a girl who can do it all. <laughs> yep. yep. 
And uh, so here's where Mao ends up getting involved with the Communist Party of China. Okay. Remember, we already talked about those guys who founded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I kind of want to talk about how that ends up happening. I'll give you three guesses as to the origins of the party. Like, before it was officially the Communist Party of China, what type of group do you think it was? Was it one of the warlords groups? Nope. Okay. Was it a school? There's lots of schools in this. Ah, nope, nope, nope. Okay. Was it some farmers? No. Okay. <laughs> I kind of gave up at the end. That's all right. It was a secret book club slash study society. Oh, God, of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is obviously a thing. We have to do this. You know, we have to start <sighs> yeah. converting our D&D group or something into... <laughs> Clearly. Hey, guys, you want to, like, read a, you know, just weird book that I found? You want to read this book? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Uh, apparently, I mean, right? <laughs> I mean, also, I was thinking when you said he was headmaster, imagine if like years later, you're like, oh, yeah, my, my principal was fucking Mao. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be crazy? That'd be weird. You're like, first time seeing him in a speech, is like, wait, that guy is? <laughs> <laughs> he yelled at me one time. <laughs> uh, um, so the study society, that was founded in 1920 by these guys. Uh, okay. Chen Dushu, the... Dean, you know, who wrote the magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Lee Dajiao, who was the librarian guy. Okay, yeah. And Mao ends up joining and setting up a branch in Changsha, along with organizing. He's, he's doing a lot at this time. He's, yeah. uh, this is in 1920 uh, or 21, not quite sure. Okay. Uh, he organizes a Russian affairs study group, a Marxism study group, a branch of the Socialist Youth Corps. It's like kind of a young communist sort of thing. Nice. Uh, and the Cultural Book Society. Damn, got a lot of meetings. Like, imagine all those Zoom calls. <laughs> It'd be <laughs> right? exhausting. It's, like, it's not a lot to do, I guess, besides do these things. I guess, uh, yeah, you don't have like television. So that's, yeah. that's what you do for fun. It's discuss books. <laughs> <laughs> the Cultural Book Society was interesting. It was a nonprofit cooperative bookstore. Oh, that's really uh, cool. It really didn't, it wasn't too much focused on the bookstore part of it. It was mostly <laughs> focused on making uh, revolutionary literature, you know, available for people. That's really cool. Yeah. So I have a question about like, I guess the term party, because I think when I think of party, I think of like, you're electing people or you're mm. like, you're trying to, or you are represented somehow through government, but like, mm -hmm. sounds like the government of China like wasn't really a thing right now. It was just warlords. Uh, so you do technically have a government, uh, an official like republic mm -hmm. government that's internationally recognized and stuff. They're just weak as hell. Okay, so, so they weren't like trying the, to send somebody there, were they? Right. Yeah. Most of the government. Most of the country, rather, was run by these warlords. Mm -hmm. And the government really only controlled a small area. It was mostly run by a guy who was in charge of the army. Uh, it was shitty. Yeah. So I guess what were, maybe you're going to get into this, but like what were the goals of the party at this point? They wanted to organize a proletarian revolution. Cool. So, <laughs> cool goal. Yeah. At that time, they wanted to, there are different Groups of them, some of them wanted to do a bourgeois. Well, actually, all of them at the time were orthodox Marxists. Okay. So they said, we got to have a bourgeois revolution, some sort of a democratic, mm -hmm. you know, people take the power revolution, a liberal democratic thing. 
do some capitalism and then bring about a socialist revolution. Yeah. Once we have a big enough, you know, proletarian class. Okay. That makes sense. That was their goal. Yeah. By the summer of 1921, there were these small communist party groups all over China. So they end up holding a meeting, you know, a big national conference in Shanghai in July. Cool. And that's where they're officially, you know, established. They had their kind of unofficial book club with branches, and now they're mm-hmm. officially the Communist Party of China. Nice. Yeah, they have their first Congress. Mao was there as a delegate from the Hunan province. Cool. All righty. He's made party secretary for the Hunan province, and he goes on a recruitment drive. It's a bunch of different things that he does. Um Finds some more ways to kind of spread revolutionary literature. Uh, he ends up joining an effort by the YMCA that was there to like increase literacy. Uh, and he joins up with them and helps them like edit textbooks into Chinese. But in doing oh. so, he like inserts like more radical kind of uh, <laughs> kind of sayings and stuff. That's fantastic. Okay, so like the YMCA. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. They were on like mission work there, I guess. Oh, know? oh, that's a great plan. Let's start infiltrating <laughs> mission work. <laughs> so yeah, overall he's trying to get shit done. You know, he was doing that. He was organizing strikes. He was doing things. You know, cool. And it was in 1922. That's you know just kind of around that time that the party decided to uh, make an alliance with another big party in China called mm-hmm. the Kuomintang. Okay, what's their deal? So the Kuomintang were, were, were they, their origins were in the 1911 revolution that replaced okay. the empire with the republic. Mm, yeah, that one. Uh, one of their leaders was a guy named Sun Yat-sen. Okay. He's kind of weird because <laughs> to this day, he's like revered as sort of a founding father type mm-hmm. in both like mainland China and in Taiwan, who, don't agree Interesting. on much. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, he was the founder of the Kuomintang Party, uh, which is a nationalist group. They advocated his three principles of the people. Okay. Tell me those principles. Nationalism. So stand up for mm-hmm. China sort of thing. I mean, know. it's not my favorite principle. That's okay. We'll yeah. see how the second one hits. And, you know, it's it's nationalism from like a country on the other end of imperialism. Yeah. So. It makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, democracy. I like that one. And the welfare of the people. I like that one a lot. That one has contentious translations of, you know, the right wingers want to say this is like, uh, the livelihood of the people. Yeah. And the, you know, more left leaning want to say socialism. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole like access to versus providing thing. I feel like. Yeah. So they kind of have different branches within the. Kuomintang or the KMT uh, in terms of interpretation of that. But broadly speaking, they're like Republicans, like, you know, in terms of wanting a republic. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. They're like nationalists, that sort of thing. I mean, given where they are, probably a good starting point to join up with them. Yeah, yeah. After the republic, you know, failed and the warlord era started, Sun Yat-sen ends up fleeing the country until 1917. He comes back. And he resurrects his party to start to try to take the whole thing back over again and, and transition it to democracy. Okay. Uh, but he had like no 
<laughs> he had like no army pretty much to do <laughs> that. And the West was just like, dude, whatever. We don't care about you. Uh, so he ends up turning to the Soviet Union for help, even though he's not like a communist or anything. Yeah. And they get it. Training, money, supplies in exchange for agreeing to work with the Communist Party of China. Interesting. And the Soviets tell the CPC, go team up with these guys. Okay. All right. And uh, I bet people freaked out about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they agreed, you know, and, and they both sides ended up, they, they, they worked together. Uh, the communist's goal was to try to push the Kuomintang leftward mm-hmm. while working with them to try to overthrow, you know, the government and the warlords. Mm-hmm. And this time period was called the First United Front. Good name. Yeah, it's yeah, catchy. Cool alliance. We're going to get into some military history, so it'll get a little glossy because <laughs> I'm focusing on what Mao was doing rather than all the details. So Mao, he was all about this alliance. He ends Hell up yeah. doing what they said. He joins the KMT because he wants to help defeat the warlords. He wants to help defeat the imperialists. You know, he's about it. Sounds great. So uh, he does that. He has a little bout of sickness in 1824 where he goes back home to kind of recover. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, he sees that some of the peasantry there has straight up seized the land of the wealthier <laughs> landowners and started forming communes. That's great. Love to see it. <laughs> yeah. He thought the same thing and he was like, cool. Peasants can be revolutionary. Yeah. This was a big deal. Uh, it's not orthodox Marxism. Regular Marxism says, peasants i mean they're just peasants they can't do it they Mm -hmm. can't come to some sort of class consciousness but he thinks they can he thinks they can be revolutionary and so it becomes a big strand of his thought that kind of delineates maoism from other forms of marxism okay cool i mean i'm for it yeah it's interesting um i i'm broadly for it yeah i think it's a why not peasants are cool yeah, I think it's kind of elitist to think otherwise. So, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. Uh, so, Mal, he keeps, you know, doing shit, keeps organizing, keeps helping to build things up to get ready for when they're going to go on their offensive. Fuck yeah. And in 1926, after consolidating their power in the South, which is the kind of their power base, I guess. The United mm-hmm. Front ends up marching north to fight against the warlords and try to reunify the country. And this is called the Northern Expedition. How's it go? Well, it does go well, I guess. But there's oh, okay. a it's it's kind of a downside because before they end up going north in 1925, Sun Yat-sen, yeah. the guy who kind of can hold everybody together, Uh-oh. dies. Oh, man, that's awkward. Yeah, his successor is a guy named Chiang Kai-shek. All right, is he cool? Not cool? He's not that cool. He's kind of an oh, asshole. He's okay. way more anti-communist. Fuck, I hate that. Yeah, so relations between the two camps that are still united mm. start to sour. Okay, not great. Yeah. And so here we end up into the meat of the Civil War. Uh, okay. Because sure enough, you know, the nationalists the kmt are the ones who are mainly leading the they're the bigger group they're mainly Mm -hmm. leading the charge Uh, the communists are going with them but the northern expedition they end up successful they end up Mm -hmm. 
more or less taking over or establishing themselves a, a pretty big power base in the north. So they they succeed. Cool. Uh, they haven't a hundred percent like taken over the place yet, but sure enough, things eventually end up splitting because uh, Chang and the conservative members of the Kuomintang <laughs> end up carrying out a purge. Oh gosh! So they start getting rid of communist members in leadership. Uh, they, you know, just kicking them out of the party and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So they're not killing them, at least. Yeah. The word purge, I think <laughs> I've come to find is overused when talking about anything in history, but especially yeah. kind of communist influence, you know, anything to do mm-hmm. with communism, you get purge. Yeah. Yeah. But they carry out a purge of them, meaning that he just, you know, kicks them out of the party, kicks okay, them out whatever. of leadership. And then he gets to the real purging stuff. He does a straight up massacre. Okay, that one's bad. Yeah, called the Shanghai Massacre. Shit. April 12th, 1927, the Nationalists round up and execute anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 people. That's a lot of people, even on the low end. Jeez. You'll end up saying that a lot throughout. (laughs) Great, great. Good spoiler to have. (laughs) Uh, So the Kuomintang end up going on a wider purge of tens of thousands of communists and suspected communists, and so all obviously... The alliance is over, right? Like, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> they're done, you know. Yeah, the Soviets are like, what the fuck, and they cut off ties with the Kuomintang. Yeah, and so the the Chinese Civil War begins. It's long Shit. and it's complicated. Okay, good summary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's your final paper. You didn't study, so you're just like, Chinese Civil War. It was long and complicated. Long and complicated. Turn in the blue book. <laughs> just, just call this one a wash. Going to take this course again. That's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, Mao found himself appointed commander-in-chief of the Chinese Workers and Peasants Red Army. Cool title. Yeah, that was kind of long. They ended up shortening it to the Red Army. Okay, yeah. Classic. <laughs> He gets now to put his idea of revolutionary peasants to the test, and he launches a little, an operation called the Autumn Harvest Uprising. Very cool name. It sounds like something from Stardew Valley. I was about to say, yeah, it sounds very <laughs> Stardew or Animal Crossing, but also communist, which I'm into. It's probably what, um, who is it? Ken, is that the guy's name? The the dad oh, who's the, off fighting the war. He's probably involved in the in the autumn harvest, harvest, harvest uprising. <laughs> probably, yeah. Is it Ken or Kent? I think Kent, it's Kent. It's Kent. Yeah. yeah. So that's in September 1927. Basically, what he ends up doing is like goes into this area, gets peasants to join him, uh, and take over the place. Nice. And sets up the Hunan Soviet. Sounds great. <laughs> uh, it is great for two months. Oh, no. <laughs> Not a long one. And then the Kuomintang show up. They swarm in and Mal's like, fuck, this is too many people. And so they have to retreat. Oh, that sucks. Okay. Yeah. So he kind of overstretches himself a little bit. His yeah. reward for what they called military opportunism um, and focusing too much on the peasants yeah. uh, was getting kicked out of the central committee of the party. Whoops. Okay. They said, Mal, you're a dumbass. You did this stupid thing. Get out of here. <laughs> Not a good call. Uh, his response was, who fucking cares? We're at war. Yeah. Uh, so he, he, the article says his response was to ignore them or something. <laughs> he just, whatever. Just left it on red. <laughs> yeah. 
he ends up setting up a base in Jingangshan City okay. in the Jingang Mountains. And there he ends up kind of consolidating the area that he controls mm-hmm. into this self-governing kind of commune state. Cool. He's always in these early days, you know, got this kind of like anarchist sort of commune based thing going on. And I think because yeah. it resonates with the peasants, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, he, he dabbled in that before. So maybe he's just kind of drawing on that knowledge, but that's cool. Yeah. I couldn't find anything that, that definitively said, you know, Mao does have an anarchist thinking to him. Mm-hmm. I was trying to search that too, because I saw that he was, had done anarchist readings, but I couldn't find anything concrete about yeah. that. I wonder if it's just like the circumstances of it, like he kind of had to. Yeah, it could be. Mm-hmm. So he sets up this state. He confiscates land from landlords. He grows his numbers, uh, even letting in some bandit groups to join in. <laughs> okay, cool. Just like, any, hey, man, I'll take whatever I can get, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, but he lays down strict rules for these guys, and he ends up turning them into an effective fighting force. Nice. All right. During the course of the Civil War, we will see his, uh, we will see Bound develop a strategy of combining mobile warfare, guerrilla warfare, and building up popular support. Okay. Into something called a people's war. I mean, I don't get the difference between mobile and guerrilla, but I'm also not that interested in it. Okay. Well, for listeners who are, <laughs> mobile just means you're moving around a lot fast and yeah. everything. And then guerrilla warfare is you're thinking like asymmetric warfare, where you strike and you and you leave before mm. they can get you. Or you're hiding, you set up ambushes and stuff. Okay, okay. I knew that one. But you can I straight up like... stand and fight in mobile warfare. Like, okay. You just run, you know back and forth and stuff but you're like standing up in uniform but guerrilla warfare is talking about like more sneaky tactics okay i mean i knew about guerrilla warfare but i just didn't i was like couldn't you also be mobile and it's mm-hmm. fine yeah 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 uh that's kind of a nuance i guess but uh this is a huge part of maoism is this idea of a people's war the idea is you get the support from people right by doing good mm-hmm. shit for them taking the land from the landlords and giving it to them setting Hell up yeah. communes for them putting them in charge, right? Yeah. Uh, and when you, you got the support of the local people there, and then you go and you mess with the enemy, you hit hit and run, you know, mm-hmm. uh, small groups against big groups, but you draw them away from their supplies mm. towards your home turf that you've already got all the people on your side in. Okay. And then you and the people that you've been helping fuck up your enemy. Sounds great. <laughs> Do the best you can to kill them without getting killed, right? Okay. Yeah, so it's very asymmetric. It's very good if you are, like, outmatched. Yeah, yeah, thing. very, like, wily. hmm And so that's what he's kind of doing in this phase. Next, he kind of suffers some defeats. He ends up retreating southward uh, in January 1929. His army is kind of, like, dispirited by all this and, and, and retreating. So they end up doing some thieving, and the Central Committee, you know, Tells him, you guys, you know, your army is bullshit. You guys are just a bunch of, like, lumpen proletariat criminals, oh. you know. Uh, they're not class Harsh. conscious. They're not real communists. You need to disband them. Mal just, like, gives him the finger. Yeah, fuck off, man. Sorry we didn't read your books. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, whatever. No, they're my army. <laughs> We're continuing to do this. Yeah. Personal life break. All right. Who's, who's up? <laughs> In the spring of 1928... Mal met and started a relationship Uh-oh. with a lady named 
He Zhijian. This is not his wife. No. Uh, her nickname was cool. It was the Two-Gunned Girl General. That's a cool fucking name. <laughs> Man, I'd have an affair with her, too. That sounds great. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He was still married to Yang Kaihui uh, when he married He Zhijian in May 1930. Whoops. Double marriage. Awkward. Yeah. Uh, so when they met, when he met He Zhijian, there was also kind of an age gap. I guess it was back in the day. It was 35 mm-hmm. and 18. So, eh, I mean, not great, but what It was more do? common back then, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in October 1930, so a few months after that, I guess, uh, Yang Kaihui, his... First wife. Yeah. Uh, was captured by a KMT warlord. Shit. Who demanded that she publicly renounce Mao and the <gasps> Communist Party. Oh, shit. She refused, even under torture, telling them, Chopping off the head is like the passing of wind. Death could frighten cowards, but not our communists. Damn, now I feel really bad that you cheated on this lady. Yeah, she was uh, she was executed, beheaded. She's fucking ride or die, literally. Yeah. Damn. And Mal apparently, and it's, I guess, complicated guy maybe, but mourned her for the rest of his life. Oh, man. So, people are weird. People are weird. Uh, back to war. <laughs> back to war, though. Uh, in February 1930, Mao had set up a provisional Soviet government in the region that his forces controlled. It was called the Jianxi Soviet. Okay. Uh, but by December, he had kind of pissed off people there, and there was a <laughs> mutiny against him. Shit. And it's complicated. <laughs> and there aren't great sources on it. Okay. What did he do to piss him off? Uh, so I'm not. I'm not very sure what ends up happening it's just like he makes them mad okay they suspected that he was trying to arrest these generals uh and surrender to the kuomintang which he probably was not probably not that doesn't but I like him assume that he had done something else to make them think that he was doing that mm, okay uh but anyway he it's it's called the uh the futian incident okay and the details are, are weird and, like, unclear. But okay. basically, Mao ends up having his loyalists uh, execute Shit. a lot of the people who who had done this. Oh, not great. Sources disagree about whether they were tortured and executed or just executed. I mean, still not great either way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one's yeah. worse, I guess, but still. Because in one, I saw that basically he called in the people who had been leading the mutiny, said, hey, you know... Let's talk this out and then just murks him <gasps> in the in the hall. Shit. Uh, okay. Not good. But it's hard to find out how many exactly. And uh, the ranges are from 200 to 3,000. So oh who knows gosh. is pretty much the answer. <laughs> uh, in any case, that's like insane. you said, bad. Still bad. I Even if it's 200, that's also very bad. Yeah. Not into that. Mal even later admitted this was a mistake. But those guys were like already dead. So I mean. Yeah. Good, thanks, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so there was that. I just, you know, okay. got to include the yeah. good with the bad. Strike one. Official count. <laughs> I prefer fouls, like basketball style, because mm, okay. that you can foul out, but it's more like it takes more, I think, to foul oh, out. Oh, okay. I believe. Copper sat up on the couch and is looking at me, so I don't think he liked that one. Uh, you're being too lenient on him. <laughs> He's like, you're telling me he did what? <laughs> Uh, so in November 1931, 
the Central Committee moves to where Mao is. You know, mm-hmm. fair weather friends. Now that he's doing good, they're like, oh, hey, can we <laughs> hang out here, please? Classic. You've got such a nice house. And they proclaim it the Chinese Soviet Republic. Okay, man. Wow. Big turnaround. Yeah. And Mao becomes the head of state and head of government. There. Okay. We're doing this. So from Nada to Prada. <laughs> Listeners, uh, this is a <laughs> reference to a Univision original movie uh, from Prada to Nada. It's very bad and very good. Look it up. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so the Soviet expanded for a while, eventually controlling an area with a population of 3 million people, uh, which I guess in Chinese terms, not that much. Um, I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> that's like all of us here. <laughs> that's their Wyoming. Um, wow. <laughs> Mal kept on doing land reform there and kept doing education programs, made sure that women could participate. Uh, good shit. Sounds great. But by 1933, the Kuomintang had said basically... We've got really got to get rid of all these commies here. Like, what the mm. fuck, you know? So okay. they start mounting encirclement campaigns. Now, what does are, that mean? They right. get them in circles? Yeah, they try to drop a circle around them and then, you know, come in and kill them. Mm. Oh, that's not good. Uh, well, they fail like four times. <laughs> They're bad at circles. Okay. They kept doing squares. Yeah, but the fifth one. Uh-oh. I feel like uh, Monty Python was like, yeah. that one burned down, <laughs> fell over, then second is swamp, but the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> that one stayed up. Yeah, but this one's the fifth one. The fifth okay, encirclement okay. campaign, they start building a concrete and barbed wire uh, wall of fire. Not really fire. It's not. There's no oh, fire. But okay. Jeez. That's <laughs> uh, pretty intense. A big wall around the Soviet and start bombing it and laying siege to it. I mean, still bad. Still not great. Uh, the Red Army supply ends up getting low. And they eventually have to evacuate this, you know, from, from this pretty terrible we're about to die uh yeah arrangement so that sucks but okay but they were encircled how the fuck do you evacuate from that well uh they end up having to break through the lines at one place and then book it out of there damn okay this is called the long march this will be a cool part of the movie yeah this is one of the few things that i like one of the first things i guess that i learned about mal was that he did the long march and then ends up being in you know in control of China or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's a very well-known thing. Yeah, I feel like I've heard the phrase. The details aren't really clear. It's just he did, you know, there was the long march, right? <laughs> he did that. <laughs> but basically it was a retreat. Interesting. They had to get the fuck out of the encirclement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that they didn't, you know, die. Uh, and they start with around 100,000 troops. In October 1934, they break through the Kuomintang line. And like I said, they just hoof it west. Just leave. Okay. Uh because they have to get around this like big cir- encirclement that has been being yeah. built there. Along the way, Mao uh, kind of regains his position uh, within the party. Like he, he kind of mm-hmm. you know regains his stature. Uh, you know, neat. I'm really trying to live right now. Um, <laughs> and they're being pursued and attacked by the nationalist armies and oh, their shit. allies all the way, all the way across. Okay. They eventually do make it more than 5,600 miles. Oh, my God. West and north, it takes them more than a year, 370 days, uh, to end up meeting up with the other Red Armies that exist in China. They meet up in the Yan'an Soviet in the Shanxi province. I mean, when you said Long March, I was like, okay, how long? Like, 
a month? Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, that long? A year. <laughs> Fuck uh, that. Sounds terrible. It was terrible. Only around, they started with 100,000. Only around uh-huh. 7,000 to 8,000 of them survived. That's really bad. Yeah. Oh, man. It was super harsh. They're fighting battles. They're starving. And I mean, like, you know, they're going through, it's like the, the, the breakdown of conflicts in stories, man versus man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's also man versus environment. Probably at a lot of times for me anyway, going through that would be man versus self. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck am I doing on this long ass march? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> terrible rough. conditions. But uh, the bigger consequence for Mao here is that he comes out of this definitely as the undisputed leader of yeah. the Communist Party. Alrighty. Uh, he's not like got supreme power. He's just like the most esteemed. He's their person. guy. Yeah. yeah. After the march from 1935 to 1936, their troops, uh, Mao's troops stay in Yunnan and they're kind of redistributing uh, and farming the land. They're offering medical treatment to the people who live there. They're starting literacy programs. They're helping the people. Yeah. All that same shit. Love it. Yeah. They also give interviews to uh, some Western reporters. And this is where Mao first kind of breaks on to the international scene. Oh, okay. Uh, Gives an interview to Edgar Snow, who writes a book uh, called Red Star Over China. Oh, okay. Gives an interview to Agnes Smedley. uh, And uh, both of these people, you know, kind of publicize the story of the communists in China, telling people like what they've, you know, what they're doing. And it's a little bit romanticized, you know, it's a little bit like, Oh, here are these hero revolutionaries, these, you know, uh, common people, Uh, you know, how stories Mm. can be about like they're underdogs. Yeah. In July, 1937, while Mao and the red army are in the Yunnan Soviet there, something happens, a border dispute between nationalist China. So where the Kuomintang control Mm -hmm. uh, and the Japanese, Oh, okay. Uh, the Japanese occupied puppet state of Manchukuo, which is in Manchuria. So okay, think yeah. northeast. Northeast, yeah, China. yeah. Uh, there's a border dispute there that ends up erupting into an all-out war. Ooh, okay. The Japanese invade, and this kicks off something called the Second Sino-Japanese War. Okay. And so the Japanese invade, and. Mal thought, you know, okay, something's got to be done. I mean, we're sitting over here hanging out, biding our time, trying to get ready to fight again. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, Japan's invading. We got to do something about that. Yeah, the, fuck and that. The Red Army, like, we're not that powerful yet. We can't really do that alone. Mm-hmm. So he sends a message to the nationalists. <gasps> and he says, maybe we got to team up. <gasps> Let's try it again. Yeah, so this is actually kind of funny. Their leader, Chiang Kai-shek, remember? Yeah, that guy. Kind of a jerk. Yeah. He uh, tries to ignore the message. He's just like, I'm not going to respond. <laughs> but he gets arrested. One of his generals arrests him and says, no, bitch, you're going to respond to this message. That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> he was just being petty. Yeah, and he was like, no, hold this meeting. We're getting invaded <laughs> by the Japanese. We need some help. You yeah, know? okay. So he does. He holds the meeting, and they agree that they're going to have an alliance, the second united front. All right, one more again. Let's yep. try it. Uh, so that's in December 1937. Okay. Personal life break. During the long march, <laughs> uh, He Zhen, uh, Mao's mm-hmm. wife, 
uh, had been wounded, Ooh. got some shrapnel to the head. Ooh. I guess they bandaged it up or something and just like kept going because oh, once they're done with the with the long march, she ends up having to travel to Moscow for medical treatment. Wow. Now, I don't know what went on between them before this because she stays for 10 years. I don't imagine you go on a trip <laughs> for 10 years without having talked about it. You know, wow. so she ends up staying for 10 years. And in the meantime, not 10 years into it, but like a year into it, uh, Mao ends up courting a lady named Zhang Ching <laughs> okay. in 1938. Okay. He does bother to divorce He Zhizhen okay. he before learned a he marries her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another kind of age difference there of 45 to 24. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's just but, his daddy. Yeah. Could be. Uh, (laughs) listeners who have watched the Adam Curtis documentary can't get you out of my head, uh, may recognize Jang Ching as one of the main characters. Mm, During the war with the Japanese, the red army ends up growing like crazy. Okay. You know, and they're really helping to fight to drive the Japanese invaders out. Right. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, Mao himself is still in Yunnan. He's kind of doing, you know, just coordinating the whole thing from there. Mm-hmm. He's writing texts designed for his troops, like to educate them in Marxist theory. Oh, cool. Uh, he writes a pamphlet about war tactics, another one about his plans for China afterward, titled New Democracy. Ooh, okay. Now, New Democracy is something I wanted to talk about. All right, what is it? Well, we kind of, we, we briefly and poorly mentioned it <laughs> in our thing about... Uh, different tendencies and we when we talked about maoism okay yeah yeah that was a long time ago yeah and i didn't do a good job <laughs> Boo. so uh what it means really is it's mao's theory that there are four revolutionary social classes in china that right. should work together to bring about a revolution that both that accomplishes both the bourgeois mm-hmm. revolution the democratic revolution right Mm-hmm. and the socialist revolution at the same time. That sounds great. I mean, we're always trying to skip a step here. It usually yeah. doesn't work out, but that's fine. Cut a corner, right? <laughs> uh, so the classes are the peasantry. That's his big mm-hmm. addition, right? The peasantry, yeah. the proletariat, so the, the urban working class, the petty bourgeoisie, and mm-hmm. the national bourgeoisie. Okay, there's like people who work for the state? Well, people who work, uh, people who are Chinese, uh, mm, who okay. are like, Mm, they're not working for a foreign uh, corporation. Okay. They're not for like foreign national companies. You know? Okay. They, their capital is within China. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because it's a distinct path that China would, you know, he, he argues that it's going to be a distinct path that China would take toward democracy. Not mm-hmm. like the two stages, like we said, but just boom. Jump right to it. Feudalism, womp, socialism. I mean, that sounds good. Yeah. The thing about the classes, kind of weird. The idea is that the classes, even though they disagree, kind of like the communists disagree with the Kuomintang, they're going to, you know, they're both getting fucked up, fucked over enough by feudalism, by imperialism, that they can work together enough to overthrow that. And he says, hopefully, as long as the party is, you know, and the working class is in the driver's seat, then later we can settle the antagonisms with class struggle, but hopefully like 
tame class mm-hmm. struggle because we are ultimately in charge. They won't want to fuck with us. I kind of like that. I mean, I think just getting people on board with being anti-imperialist is pretty important. And like, I, I feel like we could use that first step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I think it definitely has appeal, especially when you're talking about countries that don't have a very highly developed capital system, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's new democracy. He wrote about that during his time in the Yan'an Soviet. Okay. Yan'an was also the site of something called the Yan'an Rectification Movement. All right, what's that? This happens from 1942 to 1945, and it's interesting. All right, half this podcast is me being like, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) That's the listeners, that's what they're thinking too. (laughs) Um, So the Yan'an Movement is, is an ideological program And it's a way for Mao to get everybody in the party on the same page ideologically. All right. Giving them, you know, giving them a basic course in Marxist-Leninist theory. Making sure they don't have any, from his perspective, kind of dumbass misconceptions. Okay. In practice, it does seem to have meant that Mao kind of made sure that people saw things his way. Yeah, yeah. It ends up. Uh, and it, st- it starts and ends up uh, really intense. Okay. It's partially an ideological boot camp. Okay. For, cause they, they are getting tons of new recruits, people pouring mm-hmm. in, damn, the communists have this area, you know, they're cool. I want to be like, I'm going to join up. I'm a fight for freedom. They got great. all these new recruits and okay. now wants to make sure that these guys aren't, you know, stupid when it comes to ideology <laughs> that they're not like yeah we're fighting so that we can all own land and make the peasants work for us right yeah uh, yeah you gotta make sure you're here for the right reasons yeah and so he's you know it's kind of an indoctrination thing he wants to you know <laughs> like like in a boot camp or something here's mm-hmm. what's right do this here's what's wrong don't do that you know he's he's telling them what to believe teaching them yeah uh, but New and veteran members alike also had to go through something called struggle sessions. Okay. I don't, I feel like I'm not going to like this. It's, I don't know. It's interesting. So struggle sessions at these struggle sessions, you would like, you know, read the Marxist text or whatever, or read whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you're learning about. And then you would be encouraged to, in these kind of like groups, you know, in these study groups, you would be encouraged to look at your life. And examine mm-hmm. what, how you do things or how you have done things and how mm, you've done things or believed things incorrectly based on these views. Oh, okay. So you'd have to do what's called self-criticism. So it's like a confession. Kinda, yeah. People would put pressure on you and they would be like, dude, come on, like, how could you be better? Like, wow. what like old stupid beliefs did you have? Share with the class. Change that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. On the surface, to me, that right there does not seem, you know, too bad. Like everybody fucks up. It's kind of awkward to have to do that publicly, but like you do need to, you know, address what you, you know, you do need to like fix things about your life, I guess. I guess I just don't understand how that would be useful because, I mean, I don't know. Like we talked about this last week, like it doesn't really help to like grind people down in that way and like mm-hmm. be like, ah, you know, you were totally wrong. You're a fucking dumbass, you know? Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm just surprised that they thought that would be a good tactic, I guess. Well, it's in some way a good tactic because it, I guess their argument would be, it definitely, you know, embarrasses you into not doing it again, I guess. <laughs> it's you know? shame-based, which is not my thing. Yeah. Uh, of course, it does kind of get out of control. Okay. It doesn't just stop there. Uh, Mal seems to, in you know, in addition, kind of have used this not just to teach and improve, but to bring people into line and to purge dissenters and rivals in the party. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if he, uh, he was kind of playing different groups off each other too, because he has kind of his position and there are people who are more radical than him. And there are people who are more, uh, more conservative than he is. Mm -hmm. So he's got these different groups and he would be like, okay, you know, like we do need to do some self-criticism here. Like, you know, what is, you know, what do you think you guys like? How could you change? How do you think they could change? You know, like talk shit about them. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, how do you guys, you know, how could you change? What do you think they could, you know? And so he's like playing them off each other and kind of making them confess to what the other groups had said bad about them. Okay. So they're like narking on each other. Well, yeah. Except just like out in the open, just like they would be like, you're bullshit because whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. And then he would be like, (laughs) you're right please confess to whatever it was. Right. Um, and so you'd have to like kind of admit all these faults, which in oh. itself isn't bad, but like, but then there would be consequences. There could be consequences if it was bad enough or mm. further down the line. Mal kind of liked to do this where he would just, you know, take that knowledge and just file that away for later. Mm. That's not case. great. Yeah. It gets crazy and, uh, people end up getting killed. That sucks. Okay, yeah. I mean, shocker, when you have a shame-based confessional session, things turn catty and then violent. Like, yeah. no shit. If you get people in a room, be like, can you please, you know, put all your shit in the open and talk shit about each other? Yeah. Of course it's going to break bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, and in addition, he had a guy who goes on to be kind of uh, like a secret police guy. Mm. You know, those guys are always lovely. <sighs> uh, and he's going around like, really amping this up and getting okay. like forced confessions from people and stuff. And this, this is going to be my strike too. Yeah. This one, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Now in the party ultimately kind of rein it in, in late 1944 and things kind of settled down. But Mao and the party also kind of saw this overall as a success in terms of solidifying <laughs> his power and in terms of unifying the party. Great. So this tactic of struggle sessions uh, will be applied later. Damn it. This is kind of a template. They should have done some fucking self-criticism on this. Well, from their point of view, it accomplished <laughs> what they wanted to do. You know, <laughs> I it guess. was bloody. And eventually yeah. they had to be like, no, 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 we took it too far. Sorry. Mm. But the initial fervor of it helped them, helped their goal anyway. It, leadership. I, I'm not, I don't think it would yeah, help yeah. overall. I think it's kind of more fear inducing. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you want to try to include people in this so that they can find, like, I don't have a problem with the self-criticism part on a certain level of like, hey, look at your life and see how you can apply these things instead of look at your life and see how you can, how you fucked up and how you should be punished for that. You know, like there's a difference. Yeah, I agree with that. There's a way to bring people. It's like the whole like calling out versus calling in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's that. Yeah, for sure. And Beyond the struggle session part, which, yeah, I, I agree with your line on that. 
just the indoctrination part, I mean, probably do that. Like, yeah, I mean, if you think about it in an American context, if we were, if we had some, <laughs> you know, if we were trying to recruit yahoos from wherever, you know, to our, to some revolutionary movement out in the countryside, like you would have to do some, some teaching, yeah. you know, you'd have to do some teaching in the city anywhere. I mean, that's what we're, we're fucking trying to indoctrinate you right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So wherever you are, you would have to engage in that. I think that's probably smart, you know. Yeah, I think that's fine. I don't. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, but that dark side is, is what they would need to, to not do. <laughs> yeah, room for improvement. <laughs> anyway, eventually, the alliance defeats the Japanese. Okay. And pretty much immediately after that, gloves come off back to the Civil War. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Like as soon as probably before they're already planning, like we're almost done with the Japanese. Let's get ready. <laughs> Civil War <laughs> oh part two. Gosh. Okay, guys. And so this time you've got, you know, Kuomintang versus the communists. Mm-hmm. And of course, now that they're, they have been sort of involved helping both sides to defeat the Japanese. Uh, the Soviet Union and the good old USA get involved oh. in terms of helping with supplies and shit. Oh dear, I'm pretty sure I know where those chips fall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they are with. Uh, well, I mean, U.S. went for uh, Kuomintang, yep. and yeah, obviously. And the Soviets help out their friends, the communists. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Red Army has now become the People's Liberation Army cool name that's its name to this day the chinese uh like armed forces are called the people's liberation army okay eventually thanks to their strategy of the people's war and and the utter corruption of the uh nationalist (laughs) forces like these dudes are stealing everything that isn't nailed down they are just like warlording it up pretty much okay yeah yeah the communists the people's liberation army ends up victorious Nice. It's a lot. I mean, it's it's long and complicated. I don't care about it too much in terms of details. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, but what's important is that eventually the nationalists are defeated. It's a bloody and a brutal conflict. There's lots of military and there's lots of civilian casualties. Oh, okay. Uh, but eventually the Kuomintang are defeated and they have to flee to the island of Taiwan in 1949. Interesting. That's where you get the People's Republic of China, mainland China. Mm-hmm. And you have... Taiwan calling itself the Republic of China. Huh. Okay. That's where you get those differences. Yeah. And so, I mean, you can piss somebody off and call like each one a different, you can, Oh yeah. The terminology, you can make everybody mad. So, um, (laughs) there's just, I was reading about that for too long at some point. And was like, man. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, that's how the civil war ended. Okay. All right. So with the civil war over, with mm-hmm. the communists victorious, mm-hmm. they were able to, on October the 1st, 1949, Chairman Mao Zedong was able to formally proclaim the founding of the People's Republic of China. Okay. In Beijing, in Tiananmen Square. Alrighty. And so he and the party then were going to, and this is what we'll get into our next episode, uh, trying to radically transform society. Uh, they're going to kind of decide on these policies, what they're going to pursue based on Mao's strategy of the mass line. Okay. I've heard about this from our Panthers episodes. Yeah. 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 You want a pop quiz here? You want to summarize okay. kind of what that is? 
no pressure. <laughs> um, this is basically when you are asking people what they need and then providing it, right? Like you're constantly checking in with the people. Yes. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's building on that idea of the Vanguard party from Lenin, right? It's just mm-hmm. a way to make sure that they stay connected to the people, you know, and, and, and thereby are strengthened. Like you said, you are gathering ideas from the masses, right? You're going mm-hmm. out, figuring out what they want. You know, they're like, we hate rent. We need healthcare, whatever. Fuck the cops, like whatever they are saying. <laughs> and you take that and you, you process it as a party and mm-hmm. say, okay, well, how can we make this fit our, you know, how can we put this into our program, make it Marxist, make it part of our ideology. And then, like, you know, in this refined form, take it back to the people and say, look, we're doing we the thing. Yeah. We're going to fight for <laughs> whatever. And then they're like, damn, that's exactly what we want. How did you know? You know? <laughs> How did you know? That's my favorite. So, yeah. So they're, they're more closely linked. You know, they're able to, you're bringing them in. They're able to work with the party, advance the revolution. That's the goal. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So they're going to use that idea to get ideas from the people and set about remaking China. Sounds great. It's going to have some great moments. <laughs> Sounds like it will have some bad ones too. Yeah, it will. That's it will. okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, we already we're up to two strikes on this guy, so we'll see. All right. Well, I know his fate. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's gonna get past it. That's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I th- I feel like with this episode and with our upcoming one, we'll take some flack, perhaps from both sides, and hopefully it's good. And and I, um, we got some listener feedback that was like kind of cautioning us to think about kind of the, the times people were living in and stuff. And mm-hmm. I appreciated yeah. that a lot. Cause I do think it's easy for us to be like, Oh man, he was mean. He killed a guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? Ooh. Uh, yeah, that was in regards to our, our Lennon episode. Um, I think that was our listener, Richard, who's this really cool dude. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think that's a fair criticism. And yeah. I, I, I fully admit to being a weenie being squeamish <laughs> about death. So, yeah, and it's just a completely different scenario. Like, I've never been in a situation, I'm glad I haven't, where, where like, that would have to be a decision I would make. Yeah, same. I think <laughs> I'm more willing to, I don't know, I felt like I was sort of admirable. And is like, look, he got, he got it done, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Which I feel that way sometimes towards what I'm seeing with Mao, especially in this early part where he's fighting the Civil War, fighting yeah. against the Japanese, and really, you know, is kind of an underdog the whole time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I side with that. I don't know. What's your impression so far? I know we're, we haven't really wrapped up the whole story. Yeah. But where yeah. are you sitting? You said two strikes, but overall, what are your <laughs> kind of pros, cons? Or I don't know how you want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in general, I like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like... I like the, like, I guess the inclusion of the peasants. I think that's cool. Like I said earlier, I think it's kind of elitist to leave them out of it. Like that, I remember reading that part in Marx about like the lumpen proletariat or whatever. And yeah. I'm just like, that's not cool. Don't like, be a jerk. Be a dick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think it's cool that he like works so closely with people and like basically just set up communes everywhere he went. Like that's really cool. So <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Like I said, I mean, I, I admire that he's taking action, that he is, you know, bringing in so many people to his movement and, I mean, willing, you know, willing to go to war, willing to actually fight it out. And yeah. especially given the situation, 
that China's in at that time. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he teamed up with those people not once but twice. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. did not learn his lesson, but I mean, it worked out in the end, I guess. Like, they see, I yeah, I read that as kind of like learned his lesson and knew we have to be ready to fight these guys on day one immediately <laughs> afterward. Yeah, you know? yeah, I guess that's true. He was ready for it. I bet he won like a lot of popularity by pitching in against like the Japanese. You know, I bet like some people were like, man, that's cool. You like didn't keep fighting your own thing. Yeah, that's probably true, right? It's like, I don't really like those communists that much, but they helped to fight the Japanese, you know? Mm-hmm, you probably had mm-hmm. people like that. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's very important, I think, to to keep in mind all this context because it's like, well, why didn't he, you know, why didn't he do it peacefully? Why didn't he get someone elected? Like, dude, there was no... <laughs> but that wasn't there wasn't even like a government, really. Yeah. I mean, there was, but it was shitty. Yeah, so it's not like, you know, that would have even worked. So I think in this case, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's something I guess as, as leftists who try to, you know, be scientific and not utopian, <laughs> to keep in mind is that whatever Marxism, whatever leftist like project happens in, in a place is going to be successful if it's tailored to that place, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So like it's just going to look different in different places. And that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. We were talking earlier about how his, the new democracy like skips that step Mm -hmm. and it goes straight to let's get rid of imperialism and do socialism. Yeah. I was like, I understand that in this context, it's about like kind of skipping over the steps between serfdom and socialism. But for me, I was really focused on like the getting rid of imperialism part. Like for me, I'm like, I mean, this is kind of like if all leftists actually united with like let's just say dsa for example and we just like for a bit put aside all of our fucking stupid twitter squabbles and got behind one thing yeah um i don't know there's definitely merit in that because you have more numbers and stuff but then Mm -hmm. you you also run the risk the danger i guess is that you end up with a part of your partnership that is the Kuomintang that you just have to fight like immediately afterward. <laughs> That's fine. Know. We can fight them later. <laughs> um, They're DSA. What are they going to do? Give us a pamphlet? True, true. <laughs> They're just going to send us more emails. But that is, yeah, you're right. That is a, a big deal is all this, all throughout all this time you have, you have all these factions that, like you said, do manage to put it aside for long enough to get something done and here like mm-hmm. to take power, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about this. You know, it it gets a little discouraging because later on we'll start reading like about the factions really going at each other and, mm, you know, okay. oh, this guy, he's a right winger. He's a capitalist <laughs> rotor. This guy is a is a left wing deviation. You know, this person is too empiric, whatever. Right. Utopian yeah, empiricist. Yeah. They have all these labels that they can put people on just to say, basically, don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was kind of discouraging because like, man, is that actually like just what we're doing we don't really know anything we just like have an opinion and we justify it based on whatever we come up with ideologically it's all just kind of cover for that but then i was like dude the capitalists do the same thing yeah so like uh the capitalists do the same thing they're just in charge when they do it like they have you know oh you you know you suck because you're a republican you suck because you're a democrat you suck because whatever and you can be moderate or whatever Mm -hmm. within that but 
you get to have that argument from the seat of power. That's pretty nice. <laughs> you know, I would love to That's argue true. with leftists and be like, damn it, can you believe the social Democrats are doing this again? When like, <laughs> you know, we're in the like the Marxist party and then we're like, yeah, but those crazy, you know, Trotskyists. So like, that would be so cool. <laughs> that would be so pleasant to have actual, to have our frivolous arguments. Yeah. Take place in the context of we're actually okay. And not like actively dying, yeah, getting shit done <laughs> while we're in governance and arguing over how we're going to do it. Like, and so you're right. What we have to do is find a way to unite, to get to that step. And I think, yeah. Cause you know. I mean, I was talking to Kyle the other day and I was like, it's hilarious that, like there's these right-wing conspiracy theories about Antifa and stuff. It's like, we couldn't fucking organize a bake sale right now. Like I, I just, it wouldn't happen. We yeah. could on a very local level, but not mm -hmm. on a, a national level. Like we're, we're not fucking there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and my, you know, I, I give DSA shit. I love them and everything. Don't get me wrong. I just like, it's, we're just not there yet. And that's mm -hmm. fine. And hopefully we'll fucking get there. <laughs> Hopefully, and uh, we can see that there's... <laughs> we end every episode like this in mild despair. <laughs> Is that any surprise to anyone living really in these not. times? <laughs> well, you know, there's the happy ending of taking power in your country in this one, in this episode. Yeah, yeah. we'll see Next how it ends episode, up. Next episode, not, not quite as mm. pleasant. It does end with a death. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, if you're covering somebody's life, and he's, he's already dead, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If so, he's born in 18-whatever, yeah, I think we're going to get to his death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Be weird if we didn't. <laughs> Some say he's still out there. <laughs> yeah, he's still out there long marching to this day. <laughs> if there's any example here, I guess, we can leave parts of it aside. We don't have to do struggle sessions, but it is good like to build a broad coalition to get stuff done. You know? Yeah, I got enough struggles without needing... That's what therapy is. That's a struggle session. <laughs> <laughs> therapy, but it's public, and there are, Sounds terrible. are other people there. And mm -mm. Yeah. <laughs> Not for me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm excited to get to part two. Yeah, it'll be fun. It's basically already researched. I'm sure I'll add like three more pages to it or something before then. <laughs> oh, but. God. Try to keep it down. We we don't want to have to go to part three. <laughs> we won't. We won't. Okay, but in okay. our defense of a two-party here, Mao was a communist revolutionary, like in the communist party, longer than Lenin was alive. So <laughs> this this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the meantime, you can find us on the internet. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. Oh, by the way, on Twitter, I did share that picture of the cat that we saw in last week's recording. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I came up with a great name for her the other day and yeah. I forgot it. And oh, I'm so no. mad about it. Oh, I know. No. Well, it's one of those things I came up with in the middle of the night and I didn't want to like look at my phone and get awake, you know? Yeah. So I was like, I'll just remember it. That sucks. Yeah. That, that never succeeds for me. I never remember anything that I try to remember in bed. Me either. You can send us an email, teachmecommunism at gmail.com. You uh, can send us a question there for a future episode, for mm. a future Q&A, or if you're like, hey, you should do an episode about this, you know, let us know. Yeah. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, that is a great way to help people find the show. Even if you're not an Apple user, you can still leave a review. Do that, please. It'd be we'll great. read it. We'll love it. We'll pin it on our wall. I love it so much. I read all of them all the time, <laughs> except for the bad ones. Anyway, <laughs> we are on YouTube if you prefer to uh, listen to podcasts that way. 
And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash teachmecommunism. For $5 a month, you get access to our notes. I'm assuming these notes are very beefy, considering you told me the page count earlier and I made a big face. They're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll release part one of Grady's big old notes file um, this week. And again, five bucks a month, you get access to not just that, but all of our notes for previous episodes. I literally use these notes to answer like frequently asked questions people send in on um, Twitter so I don't have to remember things like (laughs) (laughs) just like command F that shit. That's good. I'll start making like fill in the blank versions for you to ride along with as we go. No, (laughs) (laughs) don't make me work for it. (laughs) (laughs) It'll help. It'll help you retain more of the knowledge. Well, one time I tried taking notes and it was too keyboard clacky. I didn't like it. I didn't like having to edit that out. Yeah, no, thanks. (laughs) Oh, and the funds from Patreon at the end of the year go to a local mutual aid fund. We actually just donated again to uh, Feed the People Dallas because of the recent storms in Texas. But uh, yeah, we'll keep doing that as we get some more money in. Yeah. And, you know, budding revolutionaries out there, if you happen to establish a Soviet somewhere in the United States, we'll, you know, come with our Patreon funds at the ready. So <laughs> Please, please save me. <laughs> Okay, I think I think that's all the internet I've got for you. So I think we're done, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for for being a good student, listening and asking the right questions. Thanks, thanks for doing all this fucking research <laughs> and for like. I feel like your. I don't know if this is accurate, but your pronunciation sounded good to me. But I have no idea. Some of them are pretty decent, and some of them are <laughs> my best effort. <laughs> I'm partially operating on like kind of rules that I pick up from other names, but I don't mm, know yeah. if it... You know, we're doing our best. Yeah, I try. I don't want to fuck up, but I'm not very <laughs> familiar with uh, with Chinese, so... Well, you know, thanks for putting in the work. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, you can catch us next week for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all. Bye.